Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, welcome to episode 76 of the Red Wings Rant Podcast. Today we're going to be talking, obviously, the huge Mark Stahl trade. We're going to be talking the signing of uh, Sam Gagne. And uh, we're going to jump right in with uh, this ad here for Tales with PR. But uh, after all that said and done, we do have our conversation with Keith Gabe. Obviously, uh, Detroit Free Press writer, former Red Wings writer, and uh, the writer of the Russian Five and uh, contributor and producer on the Russian Five documentary that you can find on YouTube. So, uh, here's a quick ad, and then we're going to jump into the show. Thanks, everybody. Tales with TR, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. Follow Terry Ryan on all social media platforms. New episodes every Tuesday or Thursday, wherever you download podcasts from. Man, my hair's almost getting to that cool Jake Gyllenhaal lane. It's getting awesome. Is there a cool Jake Gyllenhaal lane? Yeah, he's cool. He's cool. I thought he was more... He's like a cool... He's got hair, Jill. He's cool. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Welcome to episode 76 of the Red Wings Rant, formerly in Discussion 5, where tirades and impassioned pleas about your Detroit Red Wings... Have a home! That's right. Woo! Matt's still got to read that script because it's one full line. Can you imagine? Jesus. Um, <laughs> we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, and, I, you know, damn it all to hell. We have an amazing interview today, too, with uh, one of the best uh, Detroit Red Wings sports writers of all time. And I can easily say that. You know, I, I don't know how how one comes about scoring and and creating a list of um, best of all time sports writers, but this guy helped usher in the Russian Five era and European hockey for the NHL. So I think it's I think we're okay putting him on that list. Um, obviously, uh, now that I've put that out there, if you're a huge Red Wings fan, you know that I'm talking about Keith Gave. That interview is going to come up at the end of the podcast. Uh, please don't fast forward. We've got huge news. We weren't even going to do this part of the podcast. Uh, and we've, I'm sorry, everybody, that uh, the redraft that you're all clamoring for, that you smashed down the doors for, <laughs> that's wait until next week. Uh, that'll go along with our current draft coverage. Um, but we've got to talk 
signings, we've got trades, uh, we've got burps to talk about, and we're going to run through all that. And then, of course, you got this amazing Keith Gabe interview that he was uh, incredible to talk to. The, the life that this man has lived. Oh, my God. Uh, like, uh, at, at 31, Mike, um, you really start to go, holy f- holy fuck, what have I done so far? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I the guy has, you know, amazing stories, amazing insight. Uh, yeah. We do talk about uh, the upcoming draft, so you want to stick around for that. We do talk about... Um, we talk about accountability in today's NHL, and we're talking about, like, where, where is the press conference hosted for Steve Eiserman? You know, where, where are all the interviews hosted? It's on DetroitRedWings.com. They hold all the power and all the control, and half the people that ask the questions, it's Art Regner of DetroitRedWings.com. Like, cool, great. So we get into that conversation, too, and um, it, it's it's fantastic. I think some of you... It, it might rub you the wrong way, uh, but I, I, I think we make enough good points that you'll at least see the other side. Like, why is it important to have some more accountability for even a guy like Steve Eichmann, who who couldn't possibly have done a bad job at this point, but you don't, you don't like, start to let the leash loose from the get-go, right? Um, right. And, and with that point, too, Mike, you know, we have an article on bodpodcast.com. That is titled uh, How to Watch Wrestling and uh, Removing uh, um, Brand Loyalty from the Equation. That works for politics, and it certainly works for pro sports, because uh, we know wrestling is, is fake. Um, so it, it's all about that cognitive dissonance, um, the, the formula that, that says you have put in so much money and belief in something so it, it's sometimes that content that the Detroit Red Wings create, um, it, it fluffs us up the right way, Mike. I, I think fluff is the perfect word. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it, it's hitting us in the right spot that uh, we will eat that up all day long because it looks like we are just inches away from a Stanley Cup. But um, I, I think that's where the, the important side comes in. Uh, maybe, a, maybe it is a little bit more cynical, but it is the side that, pushes players teams to make sure that they are doing the right things for their franchises for their fan bases so it's it's maybe taking a look at the side where, where things aren't so rosy and rainbows and sunshine um but yeah Mike, I, uh, we are- I love that accountability idea um I, I really think they need to change the name of the website from you know nhl.com slash uh red wings because so uh, God forbid they get their own site. Um, that's not a, a subdomain of the uh, NHL. Um, I know the whole NHL is subject to that, but right. uh, you know, it should be like cupcakes.com uh, for some of the questions Steve gets to answer. <laughs> uh, so is Franz Nielsen more of like, you know, a top line center or like, you know, like a two a, you know, well, he is an assistant captain and uh, he brings a lot of leadership. So we're just great to have him as one of our players. <laughs> Cool. What about advocators? It kind of like having three top centers on one team. Is that hard to juggle, Steve? Well, it certainly is. I don't know how I'm going to get rid of one of them because they're all so talented. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think cupcakes.com is definitely a, a more apropos website name uh, for some of these questions Steve gets. Uh, but, uh, you know, through like the, the uh, journalists with, you know, a little integrity, uh, to borrow that word again, accountability, uh, you know, maybe. 
be the uh, the games of the world, the Keith games of the world, can uh, you know help restore some of that um, in these press conferences. Obviously, it pales in comparison to some other press conferences that need uh, some integrity with uh, what's going on in November. But right. I'm glad that we have people like Keith Gabe in the world, uh, you know, bringing it to um, the National Hockey League and in particular the Detroit. So. Well, I, I will throw out there, if you want to keep hearing uh, us uh, gab on about accountability, you can find us at BOD Hockey on Twitter and Instagram is brothers underscore of underscore discussion. Uh, Mike, if you're listening to this on Monday, which we're recording on Sunday, we're not doing this live, so this is going out on Monday. We're going to have some Red Wings blogs coming out. So now when I tell you to go to BODpodcast.com and brothersofdiscussion.com, you're going to go to a homepage that lets you pick between the Red Wings and pro wrestling. I think it's mwah, chef's kiss beautiful. Uh, I think is, it's it, is it this cool? Hell no, nothing is that cool. Uh, I hope you guys are watching on YouTube. Mike That's has two pug mugs. Two pug mugs. I hope one... What, what do we got in there? One is uh, scotch, and the other is high-voltage coffee, right? <laughs> You're not that far off, actually. Uh, oh, we got two pub mugs, both with dirty water. Uh, one oh. is uh, Bones brand uh, Christmas eggnog coffee. Pretty good. Ooh. Uh, I thought it would taste like season. vanilla. Yeah, well, they, they released it in July for a Christmas in July special. Ah, that's right. Yeah, and then this... Uh, beautiful angel here. Um, I, you know, uh, if you're listening to a Red Wings podcast, I got to think you're in the Metro Detroit area. It's a cup of uh, warm honey crisp apple cider from Franklin Cider Mill, and there's just a little bit of cinnamon and a little bit of cinnamon whiskey in there. And it, oh it man! <laughs> Good morning, um, <laughs> Mike. I, I did want to mention too. You, you, you. Uh, I know I had to get the uh, the Twitter and the Instagram out of the way. But um, you brought up politics for a second there. I also said just the word politics. Did you know, Mike, that you can sign up on Fox for, like, fantasy debate leagues? So there's going to be six different scores on this fantasy debate league, and you pledge so much money, and you can win up to $25,000 based on the outcome of the presidential debate. Now... I threw up. I, I saw that, and I vomited over my entire living room. Is there anything more disgusting than knowing that not only do we have in office, we have a TV reality star, and when someone like Kamala Harris is going to be a vice president, and people say, what are her credentials? And this is coming from people that voted for a... Uh, TV reality star and a thousand failed businesses, <laughs> but a very rich father. <clears throat> now, without naming names, please continue. <laughs> I don't know who am I talking about now. Um, <laughs> you, can, little, you can join a, a fantasy league for presidential debates. I'm a little sad because I looked up fantasy debate league on Fox, and uh, I'm having trouble finding that one. Matt, we're gonna have to do a little digging. I got it on on Facebook. Came up as uh, as my at. Maybe they destroyed it already, but I, I saw it yesterday. I, I took a screenshot. Maybe I should post the screenshot out at BOD Hockey so you guys can take a peek. Hmm. I, man, I, it's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. Um, let me let me see if I can. Uh, I'll, I'll do some some work here while while we go through that. But hot take. 
Uh, America, it's, it's, you've never been worse. Uh, so, <laughs> Canada, here we come. Um, for all you Canadian Red Wings fans listening, uh, we're heading up. Uh, please make some space. Uh, hopefully you'll be okay. Uh, we're obviously of the right mind. I know there's some rival Red Wings podcasts where I've seen... Uh, I, I hope you guys listen because uh, some of the stuff that you guys post on Twitter... Jesus. Um, all right. I'm not gonna, let's not say it. Yeah, John, they know who. <laughs> I think now they know who I'm talking about. Well, let's um, uh, let's yeah, talk let's... some Red Wings, right? Other Red Wings yeah, podcasts are doing it. Uh, Mike, Mark Stahl, and a second round pick for future considerations. Um, obviously, uh, the worse Mark Stahl does, uh, <laughs> the less those are going to affect us. But Mike, I, I, you, you took over here on the notes, so I want you to. Oh take over yeah, there. they're just uh, um, a lot of fun little things here. Um, I mean, Mark Stahl is, you know, not like his brothers. He's not burning up the stat sheet, but that's not really his job. Uh, his job is to be six foot four and be a defensive defenseman. Um, I think you're going to get into some of the deep cut analytics, uh, but you know. Uh, yeah, he's going to block some shots. He's going to stay home. Uh, he's really only got hurt in out of his 13 seasons like twice. Um, some uh, some kind of fun uh, numbers here, Matt. He's immediately going to become our highest paid defenseman. Um, he's also going to be our second highest paid player behind Dylan Larkin. <laughs> um, but he will be an unrestricted free agent after this season. I got to say, as somebody who likes a bunch of sports, this just makes me drool uh, for the Red Wings just, like, finding a way to utilize their cap space this year and then still get cap space the next year. This feels like just a delightful swindling uh, by Steve the Gambler Iserman. Um, Because even after this move, even after now we have our, like, our second most expensive player, you still have... 27 mil uh, for Uncle Twos and Uncle Mantha and maybe another one of these uh, draft pick deals. I like this a lot. As far as Mark Stahl getting minutes and contributing, um, Iserman on the acquisition said, we got assets in the draft pick. And Matt, my favorite part of what he said is, we also have to ice the team. Yeah, that's so, weird. <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, um, kind of a real... You know, uh, slapback compliment there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that. Means well, we got to put somebody out there. Yeah. <laughs> we're all out of traffic cones, so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get this guy for five mil, and then we get a second round pick. So there you go. Well, I, I, first of all, I want to throw out there. I know, I know, Eiserman, uh There's the left-handed side, and then there's also dubbing someone a left defenseman, uh, which what Trevor Daly and Jonathan Erickson were options for their leaving was one of his announcements. So this would be as a left defenseman goes, as opposed to a right side defenseman and you know, that being different from a right-handed defenseman and a left-handed defenseman. Uh, that's where Mark Stahl can, can make that replacement. So then uh, you said, I dump, I, I dump, I jump into the, the deeper analytics. Um, if you look at the last couple of years, uh, Mark actually cracks, according to naturalstattrick.com, Matt did not crunch these numbers, uh, Mark Stahl cracks the top, uh, he cracks the top six in expected goals for percentage, high danger Corsi four percentage, and uh, he would actually top the team in a high danger goal four percentage. Basically, you want to be above 50% because the, per- the percentage is measuring how many more goals are you getting than goals you're giving up. 
So anything over 50% is going to be that positive. So Mark Stahl's actually at the 60% mark where he crushes everybody on the team. So that may be because of, you know, what, what, what was in front of him with Artemi Panarin uh, and him being out there at the same time as a, as a guy like that who's a, a Hart Trophy candidate. But you can't, you can't discount the fact that, though, I mean, those are the numbers. Uh, if we're going to compare, if we're going to say everybody on the Red Wings sucks because we look at their raw numbers and their analytics are just a huge dumpster fire, then at least we can look at Mark Stahl and go, we brought over a guy that, yes, ultimately we're looking for that second round pick. We're not idiots. We know that's what this goal here was. But I think right. we could we could easily say, and it would be easy to upgrade. We know this team is easy to upgrade. But this is an upgrade. This does fill I, a hole. This does ice a team. But I yeah. would make the argument on the raw analytics, the advanced analytics, that we brought over a guy that is an upgrade from the the shit we we have. Um, yeah, I mean, you talked to our buddy, uh, was it Andy Hammond? Uh, from the yeah, Rangers from uh, Ranger, the Broadway Boys podcast. Yeah, and he uh, he didn't really give a glowing review of Mark Stahl, but absolutely I, I th- not. No, I think we likened it to um, you know a, a turkey bone falling off the king's table and into the dog bowl. So <laughs> the Red Wings dog bowl has a, a sweet marrowy center. Um, mm. It's like a hard white calcified exterior in Mark Stahl. So I I think we'll be okay with this guy. <laughs> right. uh, I'm also, not saying this makes us a Stanley Cup contender. But no. I think what'll get missed here is that Eiserman did actually, uh, maybe on accident, but upgrade this team. Because uh, we're also, you know, it's not like he brought over a 40-year-old defenseman. We're still talking to 33-year-old guys. So there's some muscle on the bones still. There's a turned to dust. Yeah, right, exactly. So yeah. I, I, think, I, I think what can be missed is that he did accidentally upgrade the defense while... Loading us up now with six second round picks in the next two years, which I, I did ask Andy Hammond as well. Would you take six second round picks for Alexi Lafreniere pick, which is coming up uh, in a couple weeks? Uh, unfortunately, he said no. But we know the Rangers have made some dumb dumb moves in the past, so let's cross our fingers. Steve's loading up to throw out. <laughs> Who wants six picks? And <laughs> we'll take your we'll take your first rounder. Oh, um, if, if the Rangers draft a goalie, come on, <laughs> come on, baby. Well, let's let's trickle those numbers down, and we can get the the uh, Stwe- uh, Stwetzel Stwetzel. <laughs> now we know how to pronounce that. Hey, how does that go again? No, uh, and I, I I know who's I, I know who's listed, but yeah, it's it's um Stutzla Stutzla. So Stutzla. you have to put the law at the end. Um, or you could uh, go really hard with the German and go, you know, Stutzla. Stutzla. Yeah. So, yeah, everybody. Uh, Jesse. Uh, yeah, we, we, we did say Stutzel. We got yeah. it wrong. I, I apologize. But I, I will say, you don't, you don't know what you don't know, right? Like, we got right. to learn it. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately... Uh, this, that's how we learned it was being, uh, corrected. Well, I as... think the, the German language itself gets too much credit for sounding angry. Like when you hear French, it's always like, you're like, oh, that sounds nice. But I think that, uh, Stutzla is also uh, a very nice sounding, uh, like it's aesthetically pleasing. It feels nice on your tongue. So I think to kind of recapture the positivity of the German language, 
Stutzela is definitely uh, helping to contribute with that. I, uh, you know, at first, I, I will say, uh, Jesse, if you're listening, like, I am that guy. I order a croissant. I say strudel. So it doesn't make any sense that I didn't go above and beyond. To I, I order La Gordita Crunch. <laughs> I, but I'm serious, though. I do say croissant. <laughs> like, if I'm at Starbucks, I, I go, can I get my grande latte and a croissant, please? I'll have uh, los nachos, por favor. <laughs> <laughs> Supreme. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, shout out to, to Jesse. And I, you know, let me, let me do it here. Um, at uh, G, or G, oh my God. I've mispronounced J, no, <laughs> J-C-L-E-I-S. And you really shoots on that one. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's where you can find Jesse. Um, he, he's still blogging out there, so so head on over to his Twitter. Uh, check him out. We mentioned him now two weeks in a row. He, he's a fantastic conversation. Um, and, of course, I just, we, we hold all the controls, so we get to poke fun at you, Jesse, for giving us a hard time. Uh, but, uh, maybe we just lost a listener, but it's all, it's all in good fun. Um, all right. So what else do we have here, Mike? Uh, we've got Sam Gagne, Turner Elson signings, Gagne one year at, uh, 850. Uh, obviously the most important thing that happened. 850,000. Was... I want to get that out there. <laughs> Not 8.5 most... mil, uh, for Gagne to float <laughs> around as the third or fourth center. Uh, uh, well, the, arguably the most, uh, you know, important thing that happened yesterday was Turner Elson signing, uh, <laughs> the, the 28, 28 year old, uh, Grand Rapids Griffin. Uh, you know, if it doesn't happen by, uh, 28, you've still got, it will be by 29. Right? That's, that's the classic turn of phrase, right? Minor league hockey hey, players, you know if what? it hasn't happened by 28, this you've is, got till 35. This is the city of Detroit. All right. We... Uh, signed J.D. Martinez when he was garbage. So maybe Elson will start, you know, uh, playing like Dylan Larkin. Who knows? Right. Uh, so, yeah, obviously with Jess, uh, and just to kind of put that cap around there, I, d- I did see some folks that are making the comment that Elson, uh, you know, would have a shot but with with the Red Wings roster, I, I don't I, I don't sniff that at all. This is this is fil- this is icing a team in, in Grand Rapids. Uh, but yeah, Sam Gagne is the more important conversation. I just uh, you know this this is a guy who had the high promise. Uh, I I think if you're you're drafting a guy sixth uh, overall in a draft, you're kind of hoping for more than fifty points being the the cap for his uh, entire career. But that that's his. Highest point, and we've all had these conversations before, but it's, um, you know, there's more recent history, the, the one point uh, in six games with the Wings. Uh, but I, I think in the conversation that Steve Eisman had with the media yesterday and having Gagne thrown out as a second-line center, and that's what everybody was saying on Twitter, too, yesterday, Eisman immediately was like, whoa, <laughs> oh, whoa, <laughs> no, uh, maybe. Uh, I'll let Blash handle that one but there was nothing in Steve Eicherman's tone that was like yeah I picked up my second line center but it's it's more important to Eicherman that he's got a right-handed stick is is what he was throwing out there and what's funny is um everybody who's been kind of teasing us where we've been saying Lucas Raymond since November um also has a right-handed stick so uh Hmm. I, I don't know. It seems to be important to Steve because that's all he cared about with picking up Gagne. I mean, you, you do need that right-handed stick for that power play to work. Uh, you know, maybe let's just put some younger legs under that right-handed stick uh, on October 6th. But, um, hmm. yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't put 
too much thought into this. It's not like we, we, I mean, I don't know if there's ever been a signing of a player for one year at 850000 that then turned that team around and, and turned them into a Stanley Cup contender. So, I, I mean, I get it because we have so little going on. Uh, the Gagne signing uh, was did feel pretty important, but I, I think when Iserman, like, immediately shoot off the whole second line center thing in his press conference yesterday. Um, that probably told the whole story where, uh, again, Iserman's uh, theme, uh, as, as my interview with Keith gave and our, our theme was uh, accountability. Uh, I think, uh, I think Iserman's theme is ice a team. <laughs> so he just needs bodies. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens going forward. Now, Mike, I'm I did just for it. funsies. I got yeah. three. I got three players for you, man. I want you to rank them in order of who had the best faceoff percentage. Here we go. Not Simon, but Sam Gagne, Pavel Dotsuk, and Valtteri Filippola. Who has the best faceoff percentage? Yes, I tried to throw Iserman in there as a giggle, but they weren't really tracking that stat uh, for a rock hockey reference. So, who do you got? I'm gonna. I feel like you're you're you want me to say Sam Gagne. Like you want me to like you're 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 playing with me here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna gamify this this question and say Sam Gagne has the best career faceoff percentage. All right, who's number two then? Oh, I got it. <laughs> then it's Philpla. Number three is Pavel Datsuk. <clears throat> I just Damn totally. Yeah, I switch route. Pavel yeah. number one easily. Uh, fifty almost fifty five percent. Damn it. Well, Valtteri Fupula is at 50, and then Uncle Gagne, who's going to be our number two center, is at 45. So. Yeah, so I flipped. Okay, cool. I got one right. I got, got Fupula at number two. You did. Yeah. yeah. All right. Oh, man, you really made me look like a fucking idiot. Yeah, I snookered you on that one. That was a good one. I can't believe you thought Pavel was worse than Sam Gagne. I Woo-hoo. thought you were giving, like, why would you ask me? I don't know. Gamifying questions uh, never works out for me. All right, um, Mike, the last thing I want to do, I want to play a game with you because we're going to go back to that question uh, that Steve Eiserman got, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my audio here. Uh, if, yeah. you guys, if you guys are watching on YouTube, this is going to take just a second. Um, we're going we're gonna to share the audio, and Mike, I need, I need, your, I need your opinion on this. Uh, All right, I'm ready, so, ready to weigh in. Eisman's talking. Uh, Steve Eisman's talking to Art Regner. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna call this. I might be leading the witness here. I'm gonna call this Burpgate 2020, uh, Detroit Red Wings style. Burpgate. No. Burpgate 2020. Oh. Mike, what? What? What is going on here? As Steve Eisman is is talking to Art Regner. Only one other man has his Zoom channel unmuted, and that would be Art Regner. So Eisman's in the middle of answering what's going on with Sam Gagne in the center position. Uh, this is at 6.47 of that interview uh, that is from DetroitRedWings.com. So let's, uh, let's take a listen. Um, you know, we may even look at, you know, give, we will actually look at Robbie Fabry in the middle as well. So most importantly, he's a great shot. Uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, do, do we need a second listen on that one? Yeah, absolutely. We do. All right. All right. It sounded like a burp, but let me make sure. One more. 
will actually look at Robbie Fabry in the middle as well. So most importantly, he's a great shot. Uh, and has skill and has some offense. All right. So what? Uh, <laughs> Red Wings rant faithful. What what do we got here? What? What's... Um, so I don't have the. Uh, they said this is part of a Zoom meeting. Yeah, this is, so this, this is a Zoom uh, so, uh, press conference. My question is, uh, when he burps, did Zoom uh, put the focus on Art Regner for a second? Oh, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> that would have been beautiful. Because <laughs> so, I know it focuses on whoever is speaking. Mouth. Yeah, right. whoever makes a sound. So. Uh, um. <laughs> All right, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put the poll out there. We'll, we'll have we'll have a we'll have the video attached. Um, but I, I think absolutely, Art uh, <laughs> must he's got to be having a, a nice night uh, to let that fly, uh, or he's just <laughs> way too relaxed while listening to Steve Eiserman um, spin uh, spin some yarns for uh, for who's going in, in that center position for the wingies. But uh, oh, I absolute mean, like, gold. It, if, I, if, I'm trying to imagine a world where that's okay, <laughs> where he just doesn't doesn't mute himself, doesn't like. Oh, excuse me. Um, <laughs> the only thing I could think is that it's a world where you know he's uh, under the microscope that is the uh, Detroit Red Wings website, right? He's he's the mm-hmm. guy who's asking asking questions as he's employed by the Red Wings, and I got to think maybe this is the only way for him to protest or. Uh, we're going to do, think a lot of options out here. Uh, you know, we got Sam Kanye, like, you know, takes some face-offs with his heavy line. And we know he's only at 45, but we think at 30, he's just beginning to learn how to play hockey. Um, we also have Robbie Fabry, who's never taken a face-off before. And Art Reckner's just like, oh, this. <laughs> Maybe that was the only way he could protest. Maybe that was his one little way as an employee. Maybe that was it. Yeah, maybe like, he really didn't. Advocate here. I, I don't no, know. no, no. He he really didn't want to be there. I mean that that is the you know why does Rick burp throughout the entire <laughs> series of Rick and Morty? Yeah. And it's because he's so bored by everything going on around him. So that's how he lets everybody know that he he hates everything. Yep, and every, everybody, I just I just let it out. That a thirty-one-year-old man is still watching Rick and Morty. Uh, I watched that thing like clock, like uh, that's my only appointment TV left in my life. But I got, uh, uh, I started watching Shit's Creek last night. Good for you! It is such a damn good show. You gotta, we, we go through a lot of Shit's Creek threads, uh, just gift threads on uh, B, at BOD Podcast yeah. on Twitter. So now you you've got to become a huge fan. It, it's season two where the show really turns into Shit's Creek. I think, which is I don't know how many times have have we said that about a show that. Uh, you know, wins, uh, what is it? Emmys. I'm always this close to saying Grammys. All right. Uh, Mike, you know, you know, if there was an award, if there was an award for a tool that would shave your nuts, you know who would win it? Who would win the Emmy of nut shaving? It's the Lawnmower 3.0 for Manscaped. That's right. Boom. Um, if you can remember that, um, what was, uh, oh, right. Uh, Manscaped is going to cut all your hair so like we said last week, and we'll be saying every week going forward, avoid the tickle by that one little hair it was left behind and get your lawnmower 3.0. That's the worst feeling in the world, I, I think. is when Avoid you do, the I tickle mean, and don't skin your pickle. Woo! Nice! <laughs> With the lawnmower 3.0. Damn. 
All right, uh, Mike, we know this thing's the third-generation uh, trimmer. It's got the ceramic blade to prevent those accidents, so you're, you're not skinning your pickle. Uh, this is that premium cutter. Uh, you've got the 90 minutes of battery. You've got that light to shine where the sun don't shine. It's a phrase for a reason. That's why you needed a light down there. That's why you can't use the one that's on your face. Uh, for more reasons than just that, but now you've got the ultimate reason to get that lawnmower 3.0. 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology and anything involving quietly stroking in that area has got to be premium. Show your mower, <coughs> mower off loud and proud because uh, you have that uh, beautifully designed tool along with that USB charging station. So that thing just basically looks like, a, it looks like an Emmy Award itself. Uh, so if you're listening right now, you can get 20% off and free shipping on the Lawnmower 3.0 in the package that comes with a few extra items that you and I, Mike, huge fans of the underwear that comes along with it. Go to manscaped.com, use promo code THPN, that is for the Hockey Podcast Network, use promo code THPN to get 20% off and free shipping on your Lawnmower 3.0. Get shaven, get, wait, avoid the tickle. And don't skin your pickle with the lawnmower 3.0, Mike. It is uh, it's time now. We're gonna we're gonna wrap up. We're gonna skip our redraft this week. Uh, but what I I, I really want everyone to take a listen uh, to this interview because I, oh man, I had an amazing time uh, talking with Keith and uh, I, I hope uh, and we mentioned before. So this is Keith Gave, uh, formerly of the Detroit Free Press, uh, just a wonderful guy, and you know it's. It's, of, of all things, the guy who helped put together uh, the Russian Five uh, book, the uh, documentary a producer and contributor on. <laughs> I'm such a douche that I had to end the interview because, uh, well, uh, my beautiful baby girl woke up from her nap, which is when I try to conduct all of my, my work throughout the week is nap time. Uh, so I, it totally could have gone longer. Uh, Keith was giving me all the time in the world. Uh, so, uh, uh, a saint, uh, of a sports writer for giving me all this time. Uh, but yeah, this is 15 years with, uh, the newspaper, 40 years in the news industry. Mike, we're talking six years with the United States Army as a Russian linguist. So how did you get to hear, uh, just a little snippet of, um, how he got involved with, with helping bring, uh, the Russian five to Detroit, starting with Sergei Fedorov and, uh, Vladdy Konstantinov. Uh, Keith also has some, some wonderful things to say about, you know, even seeing Vladdy now, which I highly recommend. Turns out, Mike, uh, Keith and I are both sensies, so, uh, oh. we, we, Keith, Keith has a, a great example to describe, uh, you know, how, how he wears his emotions on his sleeve, uh, so just tune in for that. I, I thought that was a great way to put it. Um, but... If, if, uh, yeah, if you haven't done it yet, you absolutely have to check out the documentary of uh, the Russian Five. You can find it on YouTube for free right now. So uh, head on over to YouTube. Maybe, uh, you know, we'll put a link uh, for the show on at BOD Hockey. So while you're over there, give us a follow, but then click that link to find, uh, to find the documentary. But please uh, sit back and enjoy this conversation with Keith Gabe. Again, I I'm saying that this whole interview starts to revolve around accountability. Uh, once we get through maybe a quarter of the way through uh, that's that's what we want to discuss. Uh, you know, is the sports media uh, are they are they treated the same way that uh, or, or or can they get the same scoops uh, that Keith was able to uh, to get? You know, through his own skill, but uh, accessibility and accountability. So uh, everybody, please uh, please enjoy. 
you know, the defection plan with Sergey and the work that they did get Vladdy out and so on. And, and um, then Scotty comes along and trades for two other guys. Uh, so they get all the credit. I had a small part in it. It was an important part. And uh, I'm grateful for it. It gave me a pretty good story. And uh, <laughs> the, the rest is history, I guess. Well, I, I, I can uh, let me at least sum up what uh, who you are, Keith, uh, for what uh, for what you have on your website. But it, it's 15 years with the paper, 40 years in journalism. Uh, I, I loved uh, the reason I love your book is learning this. But this this could be a whole nother podcast for a whole nother day. But six years as a, a Russian linguist for the United States Army, and then of course writer and producer uh, for the Russian Five book and documentary. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, um, I, I totally get where you're coming from, Keith, with, um, you know, the, the, the credit going to the drafting there. But if I could, there, there still is so much credit to give uh, because the Konstantinov story, and I'll let you know right off the bat, um, it, it brought me to tears now. And as while it was going on in real life, um, I was only 10 at the time. So it affected me a lot. And I, I remember it affecting me in the way that I saw my parents react. I saw other family members react. I saw friends react. But as, at, at 10, you don't really understand what's going on. But your story is so important to me because I got to see and, and read about a, a different side of, of, of Vladdy that, you know, you, you talked about when he, when he first saw that he was drafted. And I know what's funny is that... I'm nowhere near NHL caliber, but if I saw that, I would probably have a similar reaction to, of the picture you painted there. And just uh, some of the, the video that's in the documentary of what a goofball he was and always having fun. Um, it, it's just something that as a 10 year old, I didn't get. So this was that opportunity for me. And yeah, I mean, um, it, it, it brought me to tears and I, I'm not one uh, on my podcast. I talk about it all the time. I'm quite the sensitive guy, so I have no problem. Uh, I know uh, Fatizov uh, brought up the phrase uh, man tears. that mm -hmm. uh, I thought was, I thought was, uh, you know, a little, a little fun play uh, with words there, but I, I am one that, that does let his emotions show. So for me, that's where the story starts with its importance is that now I got to see the more human side of everything. And that's why this story is so important. Uh, to be told uh, from my perspective. Well, we share that a uh, little bit. I'm, I, uh, I, I, I cry at mall openings, you know, um, the, yeah. uh, the, uh, I've seen that film that I helped put together. Uh, I don't know, 30, 40 times, whatever now uh, from, uh, from start to finish. And it never fails to bring me to tears at the end of that movie, yeah. nor does it bring, you know, fail to bring me to tears every time I see Vladdy, even today. You know, he'll see, he'll see me, his eyes kind of light up, you know, and he'll see, yeah. he'll say, Keith, you know, and he'll put out his hand and, and, uh, uh, you know, I'll shake his hand and he shake, he sh even today, he'd shake my hand as strongly as he did the night they won the Stanley Cup on June 7th, 1997. And, uh, you know, I'll get close to him and I'll whisper a few words to him in English and in Russian and, uh, walk away uh just bawling my eyes out you know um the, the 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 great thing about vladdy is he remembers the good times those great times with his team he remembers his teammates he remembers some of us in the in the media who were on the team a lot then and so on but he can't remember five minutes ago his short-term memory is shot and that's the uh now that's the really sad part uh but he's you know what 
that what he went through would have killed most of us. But that's how strong that man was and is mentally and physically uh, to survive one of the worst uh, brain uh, brainstem injuries you can have. And he's still with us and still living his best life. Yeah, and I, I mean, uh, it, it's it's incredible too to to kind of get this look into. As, as I said, so when that happens, I'm 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 ten years old, so I I also get to learn, and and I I couldn't agree more after looking at uh, his statistics and then taking a deeper dive over the last couple of days on uh, some. You know, thank God YouTube exists, but uh, getting to see Konstantinov play a little bit more. Um, you you were so right about. I mean, this guy would have stolen. Half, half I, you know, it's hyperbole, right? Uh, but he, there's that potential to steal half of Lidstrom's Norris trophies there. And I, I just, and maybe it's not hyperbole, right? Maybe maybe we're dead on. Um, but the guy, it, it makes it so much more tragic. And that's more from a selfish, I guess, perspective when I when I put it that way. But yeah, I, I, I'm the guy that I, I watched it a second time. Um, I, I remember when it was out, uh, I watched it when you, you guys did a release out in Royal Oak, but then uh, watching mm-hmm. it a second time on YouTube, I, I almost wanted to skip over, but I, I'm also a guy when I say I'm, I'm, I'm full of emotion. Uh, that's the thing that keeps us feeling alive. So I, it, it's almost, it's like a drug. Like uh, I jump right into those emotional scenes and you want to feel it again. Um, but uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I can't, uh, I guess that's, that's probably the best way for me to put like on an individual basis. Like, uh, it's, it's always fun to reminisce and going through those parts of the documentary and the story that talk about the Stanley cup championships. And, you know, you, you could probably imagine from a 10 year old's perspective, what I remember is driving downtown and, and having my dad honk the horn and things like that. Memories that'll stick mm-hmm. with me forever. But mm-hmm. now I, 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 thanks to your story, I, I really get to understand what was going on. Um, and I, I, yeah, I guess I guess bringing bringing a more that human aspect is is something that I think we all just kind of lose grip on, and we, we connect ourselves to these names like the Russian Five and forget that there were five, if not six, uh, humans associated with that Russian yes. Five. Um, so uh, I guess I guess to to continue talking about uh, the book here, I did get a, a question from a couple of our fans that uh, wanted. I want to ask you some questions that go outside of the, the Russian five book sure. and documentary, but sure. uh, to jump in here, I've got Neil who wanted to know who is the uh, hardest individual to collect an interview from, or, or maybe just collecting, you know, that, uh, that real story from. Uh, you're talking about of the Russian five or of oh, the, yeah. everybody? I, I would say, let, yeah, I guess just from the, from the players to, to start. Yeah. Well, man, oh man, you know, it's, it's so different now than it was when I started covering the Detroit Red Wings in 1985. That dressing room was my office. That's where I worked. And uh, I could walk in about any time, walk to the back where they uh, shower and shave and so on, grab myself a cup of coffee out of the coffee pot there, walk <laughs> around the room and just get to know guys, put the notebook away and just talk with them. And, and I, Never had difficulty getting an interview uh, with with people. You you build a you build relationships, and um, uh, over time, they you, you establish trust. Uh, they could see my work ethic, how hard I worked at it, 
And they, they for, by and large, they gave me the time that I needed for the most part. Now, uh, would 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 they open up for me so easily and tell me everything I wanted to know? No, not not so much. And the Russians, especially, were very very guarded. And I, it, it's their lifestyle, you know. I mean, uh, you know what you what you the way we portrayed uh, Slava Kozlov in the movie that he was he was this grumpy, hard ass, uh, you know yeah. who. You know, never, uh, never had a kind word to say. Is completely the opposite of the Slavic Kozlov I know. He's a, he's a, 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 a just a kind. Um, he, he's a bit, he's a bit guarded, but he's, he's really kind, soft spoken, well spoken, and uh, you know, when I was over there in '94 uh, during the lockout. Uh, when uh, Slava Fetisov and Igor Larionov, with other teams, took a bunch of Russians back over to the the, uh, the Russian Federation to play a series of of uh, exhibition games, uh, they didn't take uh, uh, they didn't take Slava Kozlov with them. He wasn't a star yet; he was just beginning his career in the NHL. Uh, and they didn't take Vladimir Konstantinov. Vladdy was in playing in Germany, trying to make a paycheck. To help his family, uh, but um, but Slava Kozlov did go over there then, and he actually played with the Red Army team while the, uh, the 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 group of Russian NHL stars played against other teams. Uh, but while we were over there, Slava Kozlov invited me to his home out in Voskresensk, about an hour and a half drive outside of Moscow, and I spent an afternoon and an evening with uh, his uh, uh, father and mother and grandfather, and and uh, got to see a slice of Russian life that. Few Americans had ever seen before up to, up, up to that point. I was um, I I was uh, honored to to be uh, you know to have that day with him, uh, and uh, you know. But the Slava Fetisov understands his place in the game and is willing to talk about just about anything. Uh, again, once once you establish that trust, and it does take time. They're not going to do it overnight. I'd say the hardest of the five was Sergey Fedorov. Okay. Sergey, Sergey, Sergey was just um, was was extremely guarded uh, for a multitude of reasons. I understand that it took Sergey a little while, I think, to uh, to mature to grow up. Um, you know, he was taken essentially taken from his family at age fifteen uh, to uh, to go play in Moscow with the Red Army School program, and um, you know, it, he he was close to his parents, close to his brother Fyodor Fedor, uh, and. Um, uh, I think it it just took him a while to grow up a little bit, and uh, you know once he did, and once he started trusting me, he was uh, he was a little bit more open and honest too. And today, today, you know, Sergey and I are I, you know have a, a really good relationship. My relationship with all five of those guys is uh, is off the charts good, and uh, it was a little bit scary writing this book because I had a lot to say, and I told I told I told all the stories that are most of this most of the stories that. That that I knew and and uh, um, I have I've heard nothing but good things from those five guys about the book and the and the and the film and that makes that that makes me uh, uh, really happy and proud. Yeah, it, it really did actually. Uh, one of one of the quotes that you had was was uh, Slava talking about. Um, you know, he, he I think he walked up to the director who was recording. So you're getting information for the book and the documentary. And he says, sorry, you won't be, be able to use any of this. And I just remember thinking every time he was on screen, like getting all warm and fuzzy, like seeing him again and telling those stories about, you know, 
I wanted everybody to speak Russian so then they'd get to know me, but nobody did. And you kind of saw like the sheepish, like, shoot, I, I realized what I did wrong there. But right. like, I, I thought, I thought he came off uh, fantastic on that. And it, it really did. It broke my heart to hear him. Uh, I, I feel like I, I have a lot of insecurities. And again, me having that human relation between myself and who I am and who Slava is. And I went, oh my God, oh, that's me. Oh, well, breaking my heart. <laughs> that that's, that's, speaks volumes for who he is. I mean, we had him in that chair in front of the camera for more than two hours, and he answered every question. Right. And 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 he did and, and he did it very well. He wanted to speak in Russian because he hadn't spoken English in several years, and he was always, we're always worried about his, his English is fine. By the way, uh, he could have done that in English just fine, but he wanted to do it in Russian. And I thought that was pretty cool, actually. Uh, and we were able to use subtitles and so on, uh, yeah. but. Uh, and when he was done, he actually apologized. He said, I'm sorry that I didn't give you anything worth it. You could and I took him aside after that. And I said, are you crazy? I said, this, <laughs> Slava, Slava, this was gold. This was perfect. You know, I mean, you got to, you know, show us who you were a little bit. Your answers were, your answers were fine. And, and, uh, but he was, he was, uh, apologetic. They didn't give us enough to use. I mean, the, the thing is we, we, we had so much good stuff, not only those five guys, but from a lot of other people too. I'm yeah. sorry, you hear my dogs in the background. But, but oh, no we, the stuff that we had, I have on the cutting room floor of, you know, from that movie, putting that movie together uh, is, uh, is mind boggling. I mean, I lost a ton of arguments as we were putting this film together. <laughs> you gotta have that and you gotta put in, don't forget this. Don't forget that. Don't forget this. If I would have won half my arguments, the movie would have been four hours long instead of uh, you know ninety nine minutes or whatever yeah. it was. Uh, it, it it could have we could have carved it up into you know four one hour uh, shows for Netflix and it would have been it would would have been pretty cool too. But I'm happy with the way it turned out. Don't get me wrong, uh, but just there's and, and what I what I tell people is that all the stuff that you don't get in the film is in the book. So Wait, uh, yeah, I, I I get to turn around and and say tell everybody well the the book's better than the movie so it's just that classic well classic that, that's that's what you hear when you walk out of a movie theater all the time right uh -huh, people, exactly. well, that was a, it was pretty good but I think the book was better well you know what I'm not saying the film or the book is better I'm proud of both of them yeah, uh, yeah. The, the film the film will make you cry the book will fill you in with a lot of detail that uh, uh, that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Absolutely. I, I, I do want to bring it, uh, if we could spin it a little more modern based on what you said and getting all that access to the players. Do you do you feel bad at all for what's going on in, in hockey media right now for access to the players and losing that opportunity well, to build a rapport? Matthew, I wouldn't want my job, uh, my job back for all the money in the world right now. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it, you know, I, uh, I still have a, a, a credential. I get down there, you know, several times a season to LCA and watch games and you know, I'll go down to the dressing room, and and uh, uh, it is it is night and day. They, there's no access. There's no access. You can't. You you know, you get the coach for a couple of minutes afterwards, and you and you know, in a scrum, you don't get the right. coach all yourself. You know, in the old days, the coach would do his scrum, and then two or three of us from the papers would go talk to him in a corner and ask him all the hard questions, so you'd get all the good information. <laughs> 
that doesn't exist anymore. Then they bring out two or three players, the players they want to bring out. You can't just walk up to a player in the dressing room as he's getting out of his uniform or uh, coming back toweling off from the shower and, and interview and get, you know, ask the pointed question that you need to ask to make your story as good as it can be. And not only limited access, but now you've got to carry your, 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 your cell phone around and you're, and you're taking pictures and you're taking video and you're posting all this stuff before you can, and, and you're tweeting, you're, you know, you're busy tweeting what the coach just said five minutes ago. You're getting right. it out there because you want to be first, but you're missing half <laughs> the stuff that he's talking about right now. Right. You're, do, exactly. you're doing all these things. You can't do everything. And then when it's all over, then you go back to the press room and you write your story. Uh, and, uh, by, by the time it's out there, it's old news, right? Right. You know, I, I, I worked in a golden age of newspapering in, in America where, you know, people read the newspapers, they hung on every word you wrote and, and, uh, it was, um, and, and the, and the players and the coaches and the owners of the team and so on all knew how important the newspapers were to the promotion of their, uh, of, of their hockey club. And they gave us what we needed to do our jobs properly. We get none of that today. And I feel really badly for uh, uh, the people trying to cover the team now. Uh, you know, and, and I got to tell you, I got I to gotta tell you, I think that um, Steve Eiserman, who I have a great relationship with, I've known him uh, since, it, you know, uh, Jacques Demers pinned the C on him when he was 20 years old. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, had he's had he's had dinner at my house several times uh um I, I i like the kid a lot i love the job that he did as a general manager in tampa bay i think he's going to do a fine job in detroit but this um this uh he he wants to do it in a vacuum his job he didn't want to he didn't want to be available to the media to talk he does these yeah. these, uh, these pr things with ken cal or whatever and they post it on the website and he calls that a his uh uh, availability to the media. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, uh, it, when, again, when I covered the team, I, I, I had Jim Devolano, the GM on speed dial. I talked to him, you know, four five, six, seven times a week, sometimes twice a day when, when something was going on that I needed. And, but, uh, same thing with the coach, call the coach at home or whatever, whenever I needed them. Um, th that doesn't happen anymore. And I think that, that readers and fans, um, and, and, and frankly, it's not just newspapers now, websites and so on, but we're not getting everything we need to tell the story of that team properly anymore. And that breaks my heart. No, I, it's funny. This is a list uh, on my questions here I wanted to ask you about because I, I think what these, these sport, every sports franchise does it, right? They have their bloggers. They've got their own podcast now. They're going live on Facebook. Once it's, all about, it's all about controlling the message. Exactly. And, yep. and they're, they're, they're following the same sort of, um, you know, the, the, the marketing trend that somebody that, that's trying to do like a self-help book, like I, I need you to go here and then you're going to go to my website. Now you're a season ticket holder. Yeah. And it, it has completely killed accountability because people are going to search on Google NHL Detroit Red Wings. And what pops up first is all of their stories. It's right. it just, yeah, right. it, it's almost criminal, but it, it is, it is something that I, and I'm, I'm glad you jumped into one of my questions here because uh, we didn't have to ask, but so I could give my opinion on it. I, I think, I think it absolutely kills that accountability. And I, I, I'm one that I'm in the middle of an article about, uh, I'll, I'll confess, I, I do blogging and podcasting uh, for mm -hmm. something that is not sport at all, but is pro wrestling. Uh, but what I, 
what I'm what I'm writing about is the cognitive dissonance and uh, like the shared reality philosophies that people get into, and it, it actually causes uh, fighting and this this terrible sort of um, you know you can't there's nothing that you're saying could possibly be right, and of course this actually uh, melts better with our political <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. spectrum right now, but uh, it's just it still fits it still fits inside of this uh detroit red wing world because you need season ticket holders to keep buying those tickets and if you've got all this content coming out that makes it look like rainbows and sunshine um you're justified right you're like of course i'm going to stay a season ticket holder uh they're right around the corner um but yeah i i mean I don't know if you had anything to add to that, but I, I know for me, it, it definitely is, it, it puts a sour face or a sour feeling in my stomach. Well, it's, um, it, it, again, it's, um, it's difficult to get what you need to do your jobs. And, and the players, the players now understand that they don't, they don't need the media either. They don't have to answer our questions. They can, they can, they can say whatever they want. They can go directly to their fans on Twitter, right? They all have a Twitter yeah. account. What we're, we're, we're what we're, um, uh, reduced to as reporters today are reporting what players are saying on their on their Twitter account. That's where we're getting their quotes. For goodness' sake, I mean it's just <laughs> it's 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 horrible. It's horrible, and um, it, there's no putting a genie back in a bottle. This is how it's going to be. Yeah. And uh, again, it, it just take it takes a lot of the fun and joy out of uh, out of sports writing for me. I mean the whole. I, I, I'm, I was a reporter first and a writer second. You know, uh, I, I love chasing the news. I liked uh, getting a guy in a parking lot before he gets in his car uh, because I missed him in the dressing room and running and asking him that hard question uh, before yeah. he takes off, you know, or, or, Hey, Joey, Joe, Joe Koser. Hey, let, let, let's, let's, let's go have lunch. Let's go have a hamburger and, 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 and a, in a, in a beer and, and, and talk. I want to, I want, I want to, you know, ask you some questions, do a, a more in-depth interview. That was possible all the time. Go on the road. Have, you know, uh, hey, Steve Eiserman, uh, hey, uh, Steve, uh, how about we have breakfast tomorrow? You know, I could, I'm, I'm working on a story you can help me with. Yeah, sure, no problem. As long as I pick up the tab, which I all always right. do. Uh, the hockey players are the cheapest people in the world. Um, but I, uh, I, I, bought a lot of, uh, I bought a lot of dinners, lunches, breakfast, whatever. Uh, took them out, spent time. Again, build relationships and get – really good stuff and and my reputation as a beat writer you were too young to remember at age 10 when they won that uh stanley cup in 97 but my reputation um as a beat writer was a guy who was pretty tough on his team i was really uh i was critical of the team that i covered and fans and readers appreciated that and the players didn't always like it but they respected it i mean i took bob probert to task i i you know i uh you know, I had some uh, things to say about Steve Eisenman when they were losing uh, those early rounds of the playoffs with uh, very good teams that maybe maybe it's time to move past Steve Eisenman and and, uh, and rebuild around somebody else if they if they can't win with this guy. And, and uh, you know, players didn't always uh, like what I wrote, but they always respected it. And uh, because they knew it was based on a ton of reporting, I talked to you know, not just players, but coaches and scouts and other teams, other, you know, opposing players and so on. It was based on a lot of good, solid reporting. So my criticism was, it wasn't necessarily my criticism, but it was, um, 
It was based on you know a lot of information that I'd gathered. And the other thing that they liked is no matter how critical I was of them or of an individual, that morning that my story was in the paper that I was highly critical, I would be in the dressing room that morning, cup of coffee in my hand, sitting, you know, standing in the middle of the room. If everybody had a problem with me, you know, here I am. Let's talk about it. A lot of columnists, hey. a lot of columnists today, you know, they 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 criticize and and run. They hit and run, right? And and you know, they'll write a real highly critical column. You won't see them for a month, um, <laughs> and uh, th- that frustrates players too. But you know, I, I had my confrontations, absolutely. But um, and, and I mean. And the the confrontations I had with coaches, every coach I worked with, Scotty Bowman slamming doors, um, you know, our our, our uh, faces six inches from, from one another, just exchanging exchanging spit, screaming at one another, Scotty and I, and uh, uh, you know, there were a couple of times where I thought he was going to hit me. Uh, it got pretty uh, it got pretty ugly, uh, yeah. but always uh, always it was resolved. You know, it's, it's kind of like a marriage when you you know between a beat guy doing his job properly. Uh, and the coach, you see more of the coach than you do your wife. And um, right. so you're, you know, it, it, it can get pretty rocky sometimes. And it did with every coach I worked with, uh, but you always get past it and move on. And Scotty and I have a great relationship today. Yeah. If I, if I remember correctly, there was a, a term of endearment. I think Scotty uh, gave to you that you, mm-hmm. you put in the epilogue of your book. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you know, I mean, I had, uh, it was a little bit six, Six months or so ago, uh, maybe a little longer, I had uh, a dinner with Scotty and you know spent some time with him in the press box in uh, in, in Tampa Bay and uh, just enjoyed it. And, and I enjoy his company. He's absolutely one of one of the one of the uh, most interesting people I've ever been around. Uh, pure genius when it comes to hockey, and um, you know I am grateful to Scotty Bowman for giving me a championship team to cover in Detroit. Yeah, and I, I want to come back to. Um what you said about heading over to the locker room, because that, that goes back to like accountability. Like you, you hold yourself accountable. If I'm going to write this article, I'm available to yep. you. You can, you can approach me. And, yep. um, I, I don't want to, uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to fluff your feathers too much here, but you, you got to think too, like when you do come in with that accountability on the article you're writing, I mean, they mentioned it in, in the doc and in your book, uh, you know, from, from Sergey's mouth himself, like th- those types of things are what push them to get, uh, to get to that Stanley cup level. Um, I, so, I mean, that, that's part of the, uh, the thing that you, you have to respect about that, that type of writing is like, you, you have to be honest with everything that's out there. And even this, this article I mentioned before, again, talking about silly nonsense, like pro wrestling that I am fully aware <laughs> is not at the level uh, of, of hockey, but the fandom is is where it's at that's where it's the same story and and um one of the narratives i I don't know how you feel about this and this is just popping in my head because of our conversation um there's a narrative going around that we need to stop being so rough on our teams when they don't win the stanley cup and that we should just be proud of it and this is coming from a, a toronto writer so obviously he's waited quite a while for a cup um but i i don't like I want to, I want to get your feelings on this because I, I think that is, is absolutely the wrong way to go about it. If, if we're not asking our teams as fans, as media types, uh, if, if the front office isn't asking their team to win the Stanley cup, what are, what are we doing? Right. Are we just here collecting season ticket memberships and then going on to the next season, crossing your fingers? Uh, it, 
I, I don't know if you hold any credence to that, but I, or if you've even seen that narrative moving around, but I I'm have, not a fan. I have not seen that. I think it's outrageous, actually. To, uh, I, I can't imagine thinking like that. And I can't imagine anything like that coming from a reporter in Toronto for Christ. <laughs> Toronto, of all places. I mean, that's a, that's a team like it's like the New York media. They're pretty hard on their team. And uh, and and uh, sometimes they sometimes they are overly aggressive. Uh, but in recent years, I think they've treated that team and those players, especially those big time players, getting a lot of money with kid gloves. Oh, don't say anything wrong about Austin Matthews for God's sakes. You know, um, heaven forbid uh, that. Uh, uh, that we, uh, we we say an unkind word about Mitch Marner. These guys are getting paid double and uh, double, you know, ten million dollars a year plus, um, and they keep failing. You know, right. Mike Babcock, and you know, goes to Toronto. This guy, uh, I, I, I was couldn't have been happier to see a coach leave uh, Detroit than than when Mike Babcock did. And he goes to Toronto, and what does he do? Yeah, he had a bad team to start with. Then he had a really really good team, and still couldn't win in the playoffs. <laughs> You know, and uh, that, that's why you play this game in Toronto. Yeah. When's the last time they won the Stanley Cup? 65, something like that. Yeah. Um, you would think, uh, and they've, they've gone through a lot of people. Brendan Shanahan, I love the guy. I, I admire him. Uh, his work is, 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 is the, work, the job he did as a player, uh, wherever he played as an executive with the NHL now as the president of Toronto Maple Leafs. I think they're on the right path there. But I think any talk uh, that we should just be happy that they're what? Oh, uh, shucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, they tried. They tried hard. You know, they gave us a, a pretty. Yeah, we all thought that they were going to give us a good run in the Stanley Cup, but they got knocked out in the first round again. Oh, well, you know, let's try it again next year. I think that's bull. I think I think they should be really hard. The the better a team gets and the, you know, the, the they're spending money hand over fist. They're 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 up against the the. Uh, the salary cap, they're paying guys, you know, a handful of guys, tremendous amounts of money. And to have them come up short year after year after year, uh, I say you get tougher and tougher and tougher on them, not easier. Yeah. And I, I think it's this idea too, that um, it, it, it's kind of, uh, I, I don't want to sound like, uh, like a typical, uh, I don't know, like the old, the old gruff, but it, 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 to me, it, it is a failure, I think, for every NHL franchise. Like, like Dallas is, uh, is not looking great right now against Tampa Bay with Stamkos coming in and scoring uh, in the first period. But Pretty impressive, wasn't it? Right. So does, does, does Dallas turn around and, and say the season was a failure? I, I think, you know, I think there's good things to pull from it, but I still think that's accurate. I still think it's okay to say, yeah, the only winner – is the Stanley Cup champion. And of course, I'm talking way too early here. Like by the time this goes out on Monday, who knows? Dallas wins two games. I look like a moron. Right. But <laughs> but the principle still stands. I, I think well, there's one there's one winner. If you, there is. You're right about that, Matthew. But at the same time, you got to keep things in perspective a little bit now. Um, uh, the, we all thought Tampa Bay would be there in the end, right? right. I, I, I sure did. I thought it was the team that I picked, and I thought maybe Colorado in the West. I didn't know quite know who. I, I wasn't sure about St. Louis. Uh, trying, trying to repeat, that's really, really hard. But um, I didn't I really see Dallas coming, and I don't think a lot of people did. Some people did, but uh, 
you know, there here they are in the Stanley Cup Finals. They they were they were highly impressive in Game One where they won. Game Two they almost came back and won. Uh, game Three last night uh, they 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 uh, they struggled. Tampa found its game and they look like the best team again. But yeah. I covered I I left Detroit and covered the, the Dallas Stars in in. Uh, uh, right. 98, 99, and, and beyond. But and I covered that uh, Stanley Cup championship that they had it in '99. But I would still, call, regardless of uh, whether if if uh, Tampa does go on and win, and and uh, Dallas winds up finishing runner up, you you can only have good things to say about Dallas and the job that it did. Uh, this was they gave their fans a hell of a ride in these playoffs that that very few people saw coming. So. I, I wouldn't say it was, it's a uh, it, it's a disappointment in any in any stretch of the word. I'd say they should be disappointed in Vegas. They should be disappointed in Colorado. That's um, a good point. You know, and uh, the, you know they they should be disappointed in Boston. I, I think, and certainly Toronto. The, Toronto's a much better team uh, than uh, than than they showed in the playoffs again. Um, and you know Pittsburgh, we all saw that coming, didn't we? I mean, you know Pittsburgh right, uh, right. had the longest uh, uh, playoff streak where they were at 13, 14 years, fifteen years, something like that, and uh, they didn't make the round of sixteen this year. Um, so that streak is pretty much ended as well. Um, so no, nobody will ever, ever come close to twenty-five years uh, making the playoffs again like Detroit did. No, that and, and that's that's a great point too. I think it just uh, for me the way I hang on to that so tightly. I got that vice grip going on that idea. It's just because if I was a Dallas fan, because I mean we're uh, we're talking about a team that is this is a surprise they made it this far. So I I wouldn't want my front office in Dallas, and I'm not saying they would actually do it, but I don't want them to get complacent, right? And I, and I think that's where I, I hold that vice grip, and I go, no, you you. You didn't win. You got to get me. You got to get me more players, and there's got to be something. I, and I know now we've seen Heiskanen come up, and you're like, all right, you've got you've got your franchise defenseman now. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I I guess I guess maybe I'm spoiled by Detroit. You know that that well, could that, be a definite. That, that's that's a good word. Uh, uh, and and <laughs> I I, start, I started I started saying that in the late '90s, uh, the mid to late '90s, before they even won a Stanley Cup. How spoiled Detroit fans were. I mean, they were they you know they were getting to the point 95, 96, 97. They were giving us good runs in the in the playoffs and finally won one in ninety seven. But you know the the even then even then um, the uh, uh, the fans were saying yeah okay uh, you know they're 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 good in the regular season. Just wake me up in the playoffs. Wake me up in the playoffs and and then I'll start tuning in. And uh, you know they. Uh, they they got their playoffs, uh, but it was during the regular season. Even in those really good years, at the end, the lower bowl would be a third uh, empty because people would be in the Olympia Club drinking or something like that, you know, and, right. and uh, or you know walking around the Joe, whatever. Uh, no, you know, all those corporate pinheads I called them, uh, <laughs> you know, not sitting in their not sitting in their seats watching a, a really really good hockey team do their thing, you know, and yeah, I've got. It got uh, crowded and loud in the playoffs, but where where were they? They had, they had sellout after sellout after sellout and empty seats all over the building because people were not even uh, not even coming to games. It's sometimes. Well, I uh, I did have um, a bit of a list here that uh, sure. we haven't even touched on yet, but I, I, so this goes outside of of um, uh, 
you know, our Russian five book and documentary, but uh, it still kind of connects. So uh, I, I sent, I sent one of these questions to you because I, I did want to see if there's something that, that popped in your head, but uh, like, you know, not that I want to throw a bunch of pressure on you here, but you know you are credited with with assisting. You 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 got the uh, the I'm going to say you got the first assist on uh, helping the Red Wings crack the code on European player uh, drafting, more specifically Russian, and bringing them over. Obviously, that leads to 25 straight years of playoffs for the Wings, as we keep talking about. So I, I'm calling it this crack the code. Like, is there anything in your mind, and I know it's tough, like, if, if we could put a finger on what the next thing to crack the code is, we'd be managing a hockey team right now, right? But is, is there anything in your mind that you think NHL franchises could be close to? And I, I threw in a couple examples of, are, are we going to see a team going five forwards on the ice? Are we going to see uh, the Asian markets uh, get more funding from the, you know, to, something going out there to start building out? Um and I guess that would put us like 15 years out from any sort of development of, of real hockey players uh, going over into Asian markets. Where are we going to see something like uh, with the Islanders' success over the last couple of years? More teams adopting something like a Barry Trotz strategy. Kind of that one, more of a, a lesser uh, impact because I, I think teams are already trying that. And, and we saw the Red Wings try and just get some wins this year by doing some Barry Trotz-like strategies. But to sum it all up, do you, do you see anything like have have we figured everything out in the NHL and now it's just about tinkering or is 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 there something else out there? Well, I, I you know that's a that pretty um, right <laughs> a pretty uh, uh, challenging question, uh, and I I have given it some thought and and really I think the barn doors close on one uh, one particular. Uh, way that the NHL really could have uh, improved its game and made it safer for players uh, because the players are getting too big and too fast. Uh, and they've added, a, years ago, they've added a second referee. Um, so you got four, four officials and 10 skaters out there and a really limited space. And, uh, my feeling when all these new buildings, when the expansion was going on, all these new buildings are going up, um, build, build a bigger ice surface. It doesn't have to be the European surface, but, you know, some, some sort of a hybrid. Uh, and there, there are some hybrids out there that players, uh, even North American players have said, you know, would, would, would work for them. Um, but you can't do that anymore. You can't do that now. All these new buildings are up. None of them are capable of bigger ice. The only the only building um, I think capable of the of, of the big ice surface was the Saddle Dome in Calgary, and that's been replaced. Um, you know, uh, and that was built for the nineteen eighty eight Olympics. Uh, I was always a proponent of trying to get them more room. I I like the European game. I like to watch. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, Olympic hockey, the bigger ice surface, to watch talented players, give them more room to do their thing. We're not going to see that. So we're going to see heavy collisions uh, and, you know, more concussions and so on. Uh, there's nothing we can do about that. Um, cracking the code, uh, I don't know about, you know, uh, five uh, forwards on the ice. Um, right. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, that's a, this would be a great question for Scotty Bowman because Scotty's already thought of these things. And I like to watch <laughs> him, I'd like to watch his mind work trying to answer a question like this. Uh, the, um, the Asian market is, uh, is, is there and growing. Uh, but I think Asia is probably where 
uh, Germany and Switzerland were uh, 20, 25 years ago. You know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Germany starting to produce some really good hockey players. Now, Switzerland, uh, this, the same way. Uh, before it was a, it was a um, it was a rarity to to see a, a, a guy uh, make it to the NHL from from those countries. The Beijing Beijing Olympics would be really important uh, uh, to promote the the uh, the game even further over there, uh, kind of like Nagano in '98. Uh, 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 Absolutely, you know, opened it up. Those kinds of things, the smaller things. I'd you know. The people talk about making the net bigger because goaltenders are all giants now. Right. You know, uh, I I don't like that idea. Uh, the four by six, I want. I'd like to keep that, but I'd like to. I I really would like to see this league crack down on cheating goaltenders. The go, the equipment is way too big. Uh, it's not protective anymore. It's all about you know uh, taking up space. You know, the, the blockers, right. gloves, the pads and everything. You go back and look at the 60s and 70s, you know, the, the skinny little pads that the, the, you know, for protection that goaltenders were wearing. Now they wear these great big billboards, you know, on their, uh, on their, on their legs. Um, you know, if you're going to allow the goaltenders to continue cheating, why not allow the, uh, the players to curve their sticks however they want them yeah. to? <laughs> uh, yeah, we haven't seen a, a penalty for an illegal curve on a stick lately uh, in a long, long time. But, you know, that's Brett Hall's made that suggestion. Let players cur curve their sticks however they want to get off the, the, the most wicked shot they can against cheating goaltenders. You know, these are little things that I'm, that I'm not cracking any codes here, but I'd like to I'd like to even the playing field out a little bit. I really don't. Uh, and, you know, Patrick Waugh started the, this, uh, you know, back in the, in the 90s, wearing those great big oversized sweaters where the where the uh, puck would get caught in the netting under under the arms, you know, from on his jersey. Um, it, you know, there are ways to increase the number of goals, which is what I think people want to see. Oh, that's uh, that's a good one. And, and I, what I'm about to say, this is when the, the Hockey Podcast Network gets mad at me for my conspiracy theories, but they're probably... They're probably hoping those pads don't shrink so that one day we can get, uh, you know, we, there's not enough billboard space uh, oh, around, the, around the boards. Yeah, we need, we, need, we need huge pads so we can get Absolutely. something on those legs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can see that coming, can't you? Absolutely. Um, now, uh, we'll, we'll swing it uh, Red Wings way specifically. Um, anything Red Wings fans maybe haven't? You, you haven't seen us put our finger on yet or, or just anything you, you, you think is going to help the Red Wings at, at number four? Uh, I know it's pretty tough to find anything nobody's found yet at number four because uh, we're pretty much looking at the same nine guys over and over and running the same mock drafts that come out with yeah. three different options. But, um, yeah, so is there anything on your radar that uh, or anything you just want to see happen for the Red Wings? On, uh, well, I, six? you know, I, I'm uh... – I'm very, very much like um, a lot of the, the a lot of these people putting these mock drafts together. Mm -hmm. I am a, I don't have a clue. Like they don't have a clue, really. Right. You don't know the top couple of guys. Everybody's throwing stuff against the wall, and we you know we, we write um, uh, mock drafts. I it's one of the things I hate about uh, sports writing today. I mean, it's just you're writing stuff to fill space that means nothing. <laughs> means nothing. Um, all, all I know for sure is that the, is, is that the wings need a number one center really badly. They need a, they need a center. Uh, 
Yeah, they they uh, uh, their defense is is weak and young and so on right now. Uh, goaltending is uh, kind of a mess in this entire franchise. Um, thank God Jonathan Bernier stopped a few pucks, uh, you know, the, this past year. Uh, but they need a they, they need a, a goaltender of the future, uh, and you know they need to uh, uh, c- continue building the defense. But they're desperate for a number one center. Dylan Larkin's really not a true number one. So he's number he's a really number two center. Really, they need a number one guy, uh, and that would be would have been Byfield, you know, if they could have get that gotten right. a second pick. Um, but I think I, I, I think Steve Eisenman knows that, and and they, you know, you build down the middle in in uh, in, in hockey, and uh, yeah, they got Rasmussen, they got Joe Valeno, you know, uh, with Dylan Larkin and whoever they can draft this year, one, two, three, four. Now you're looking pretty pretty solid at center three or four years down the line. Well, three or four years down the line, what uh, Dylan Larkin is going to be twenty eight years old, right? Right. Um, they they they're. They're going to get a good player at number four. We don't know who that's going to be. I'm going to put my trust into Steve Eisenman, like fans are. But fans are putting a, with zero accountability. You know, they're putting a lot of trust in this in, in this guy. But here, he, he's the guy who got Braden Point at what seventy nine overall, right? Back in uh, 2015 or what, yeah, whatever. Yeah, Kucherov in, in the second. Yeah, two. I mean, like, I mean, yeah. He's, dra- he's drafted pretty well there. If he can. You know, I, I love this kid, Maurice Sider, uh, the defenseman. He he went off the reservation to get at number six overall last year. I saw him play uh, in 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 training camp, and and this this kid will be a player. He'll be a, he, he he'll be a dominant first pair defenseman. Maurice Sider will. Um, they need more like I think Hronik will be too. I mean, that's almost looks like a good pair, number one pair right now. Yeah, they fit uh, perfectly. They have other kids coming on on defense. Uh, they 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 need a they need a centerman and let's not remember let's not forget that um, back in 1983 uh, when there were three really really top players and it it the the it uh, it dropped off dramatically after that and Mike Illich really really wanted Pat Lafontaine with the third overall pick in 1983 uh, and he and he couldn't make that trade with the Islanders and they got stuck with the number four pick. <laughs> And the guy they drafted was Steve Eiserman. You know they're going to get a good player at number four. That in a lit and and uh, you, you know do, did I like the way this draft uh, you know shaped up uh, with um, the New York Rangers had a chance to win the Stanley Cup w- w- as one of the twenty four teams in the tournament to start, and then they lost in the first round and they wound up with the number one pick overall. That's that's outrageous. Yeah. That should have never happened. The that the the uh, uh, lottery draft should have been of the seven teams that weren't in that tournament, period. You know, and waited. You know, Detroit. You know, D- Detroit, and then Ottawa, and, and whatever. Uh, you know, the ping pong balls waited accordingly, one through seven. Uh, it was a pretty simple thing to do, and the NHL screwed it up. Well, and, my uh, my so, favorite so part was was Bill Daly slipping and saying. Uh, it was it was that first draft poll, and he said, "Looks like we're getting a playoff team." And their whole their whole propaganda and agenda was to make sure they never called them playoff teams in case one of them won. Yes. Uh, yes. But that was that was music to my ears just to have him throw that mess up in there because they knew uh, they knew they screwed that they screwed the pooch. 
the the NHL has done a lot of things right, getting the game back together and the, and the, the game's going again and, uh, you know, no problems at all through this tournament and so on. I like the 2014 format. I hope it continues. Uh, but the way they pulled off the draft was just uh, – it was ridiculous, and it really hurt. You know, it absolutely contrary to uh, the philosophy of the draft is is the, the the draft by definition is designed to make the poorest teams in the league better. And uh, the Wings have gotten screwed in every lottery so far. Yep. Uh, they've, they've, they've every every lottery they bounce back two or three spaces, and uh, you know it, it's it's going. The result of that is going to take them longer to become more competitive in, in this in this league, and and. Uh, and how long is it going to be before they they are they're they're compete for the playoffs again? Uh, at least two or three or four years, at least. And right. you know, to make to make a to make a serious run in the Stanley for the Stanley Cup, five, six, seven years. I, I think. Listen, when Jimmy D uh, was hired by the Oilers right. in nineteen eighty two to to. Uh, uh, as general manager, the first guy that uh, the Illiches hired when they bought the team, and they, you know, went went to dinner with uh, w- with the he went to dinner with the Illiches and Marion Illiches. Jimmy, how long is it going to take us to win the Stanley Cup? He said, Marion, I think we can do it in about eight years. That's how long it's going to take. Said, eight years, my God, I'm going to be an old lady by then. I won't be able to go on the ice, and you know, just like eight years seemed like forever. Right? Well, it took him 15 years, and it's way harder now with 32 teams in this league instead of 21 teams. So, uh, you know, it, it's it, we have to be patient, which is what Steve Eisenman asks us all to be. Okay, Steve, we'll be patient. How long should we be patient for? How, how long are you asking for? What's your, what's your timeline here? What's it going to take? Um, when do you think, when do you think, when do you expect this team to be to to, to uh, challenge for a playoff spot, to make a serious run, to win the Stanley Cup? What's your timeline? Give us a little bit of a clue here. He he won't touch that with a ten foot pole. We actually used to open our show with uh, the uh, the twenty nineteen draft interview, uh, where he was asked what his timetable is, and it was just. We felt bad, but the NHL asked us to take it down because we don't own the rights to that interview. But it was it was him just going, uh, which is fine. It's it's a tough question when you look at it. But I mean, you know, you kind of hope that there was like a surefire. Like if I heard five years, I'd be like, all right, we got a five year plan. It's the uh, it's the us that scare me. That's where I'm like, are we? Sure. Are we going back to Jimmy D? Are we talking eight years? Are we talking fifteen? <laughs> and, 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 and it's not—it's not just the uh, you know the uh, the media people and so on that uh, uh, who want to know. I mean, we're asking these questions really on behalf of season ticket holders who deserve to know what are you going to what what am I getting for my investment here? I'm I keep thousands of dollars every year. I'm pouring into season tickets. When am I going to start getting something for my money here? And uh, we uh, we we get none of that from him, and that's uh, that's that's that frustrates me. I, I I totally agree with you on that one. Um, so I, I've kept you here way longer than I said I was going to. Do you have t- another question popped in my head? Is that okay if I ask you this last? Absolutely. One? What, what do we need, Matthew? Um, so I, we keep talking about Steve Eiserman. Um, he did make the announcement, and and I, I want to get your opinion because you said you've you know you've been able to sit down with Steve uh, and talk to him and build articles uh, with his help. So. Um, what I want to ask is, do you think, uh, or I guess who you think is, is getting this captaincy and do you think he's, he's, he's picking something that 
he sees a little bit of himself in there? Or do you think this is more, I, I'm going to say it looks like Dylan Larkin. Um, so do you see him making the choice that he wants? Or do you think this is more of like a marketing thing? We need a captain. We got to put some C's on some jerseys. Um, and this is the hometown boy. Yeah. You know, I, I've given this a lot of thought actually. Um, I was a little surprised that he got involved in the whole captain C business in the first place, uh, as a general manager. Um, when, you know, that's usually, a, that's coach. usually the coach who does that, right. Names the, right. the, uh, the general manager. And I remember when Jacques Demers was going to name Steve Eisenman, 20 year old Steve Eisenman captain. And, uh, I, I didn't think that was a good idea. He was too young. <laughs> really? Right. Uh, yeah. He, he was just too young. That's a lot of pressure to put on a kid. And, um, I, I remember asking Jimmy D about it. What do you think, Jimmy? Well, you know, that's that's the coach's job. That's what the coach does. That's up to the coach. I know what you're saying, Keith. I know what you're saying, and I kind of agree with you, but that's the coach's thing. And so Jimmy D stayed out of it, right, as a general manager, and, and, and let Jacques Demers do it. And Demers, you know, the one thing that, you know, because I said, I, I, I told him, I told Jacques, I said, Jacques, he's too young. You know, you why, where does it say your best player has to be the captain of the team? Right. What, why can't your best player just be your best player and not have to worry about, you know, not only carrying the team on the ice for, for 60 minutes, but, but then come in after, after the game and have to explain what went wrong in the, the 50th loss of the season. It gets, it wears, you know, you can see what it was doing to Henrik Zetterberg at the end. I mean, his post-game interviews were, were really hard to watch. And I had, I, yeah. I felt really bad for this guy, right? Cause he, how, how, how often can you say the same thing over and over again? <laughs> um, and, and, I think, to to Steve Eisman's credit, actually, he he maybe thought about that a little bit with Dylan Larkin. Does it, Dylan Larkin has done everything you could ask a guy uh, uh, who you know to be to be captain of this team? He's acted like a captain from day one, just about. He's learned the job. He's he speaks for the team. He speaks for the city, for the franchise, and so on. Uh, and, and he's he's just gone out of his way to stand up and say everything he needs to say and act every the, the act like a captain. He's done it, and I really thought at the start of this past year that Blasha was going to name him captain, and 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 I feel like uh, maybe the general manager Steve Eisenman stepped in and said, eh, "Let's hold off a little bit," yeah. and um, and and that surprised me a little bit. Uh, I don't know what. Dylan Larkin has to do any more uh, to prove himself. Uh, I, I think it's time to put a C on somebody. He's the guy, and uh, there's there's really nobody else on that team uh, who I would uh, I, I would I would consider uh, you know for that honor. Um, and um, you know he'll I, I have a feeling that he's going to be in a um, uh, a Detroit Red Wing for a long long time. He could be a Steve Eiserman type player and play you know, 15, 20 years with the same franchise. I don't see him going anywhere. He's a local kid uh, and on and on and on. If they get, do get to a point where he has some success, um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty good story. Local kid, but you know, grew up in Waterford township for goodness sakes and uh, became captain of the Red Wings. And maybe he'll have the, the honor of lifting the Stanley cup over his head one day. Um, I think we'd all like to see that. Right. 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it is It is something that, that warms your heart when the story writes itself. Uh, but uh, I, I think I think for me, I think I've I've decided it's going to be Dylan Larkin. And it it's one of those things um, I, I talk about it. Uh, I, I'm a sports fan because of my father. So we have this conversation all the time where it's if if it's if there's a question about it, if there's an argument, I think that's where it starts to become. Well, maybe maybe we do hold off. Maybe we do wait. And. I think right now it's tough to sit there and go, there's a better option for that captaincy right now. So I think we're, we're definitely pulling away from too young. Uh, I think he's definitely shown leadership in the locker room over the last year. So it's all of those things where now he's been, uh, for lack of a better phrase. I mean, he's just been acting uh, the role and like, like you just mentioned yourself. I mean, the, the story is there too. So I, I think at this point we've hit, we've hit, like we, we passed the line where there's, there's very little argument against him getting that role. Uh, right. So I, I mean, I, I'd have to agree. I mean, who, um, who, who are other like likely candidates? I don't even know who, who they might be. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too, because we've actually been critical on our show about even um, you know, the, I think you, you need to have wingers on your team. So we're not making the argument that Mantha should go, but we have made the argument that by the time this team is ready to make those Stanley Cup runs, a guy like Anthony Mantha is actually based on statistics and analytics. And when your uh, stats drop off from your age, he'll he'll be past that point. So right. he'll start to drop. So that yeah, like that that guy's got high skill, but that, that's not the guy you you give your captaincy to. I mean, it just it becomes too easy to say. You know what I mean? Like where, where I talk about those conversations with my dad, once you get the argument, but it's, it's just too easy to put Dylan Larkin. But I think when it becomes too easy, that's when it's okay to do it. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, like I said, I, um, I did hold you longer than I wanted. Um, I can hear, uh, I've got a brand new baby girl and I can hear her kind of, uh, uh. wrestling upstairs. So I'm, I, I, what's funny, I think I've ended every podcast interview <laughs> the same reason she she knows when it's been too long maybe she's listening um but Keith I can't I honestly can't thank you enough I was excited to have you on the show because uh, we get in a lot of trouble on on social media ourselves being a little too critical um so I you know it was something that as a 10 year old I didn't read your stuff but I went back and I, I've been becoming a huge fan uh which is odd to think that you know I'm going back and reading articles that are critical on the Red Wings as, as you put it yourself, but also, you know, reading, reading your stuff about the Stanley cup championships and of course your book and, and everything you did for the documentary. Uh, so I, I knew this would be a fantastic conversation because um, I think the theme of this whole conversation has been accountability and, and having a critical eye uh, to ensure that, uh, you know, these, these franchises are kind of, ah, shoot, uh, lack of a better phrase held accountable. Um, <laughs> just keep repeating the same word. But um, yeah, I I can't thank you enough. And uh, geez, I hope you had a good time and and hopefully we can have you on again. Matthew, it's been fun. I enjoyed it uh, immensely and I'm available anytime you need me now. It's time for you to go be a dad. All right. Thank you so much, Keith. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye.